The focus for this morning's sermon is verses 8 through 11 of 2 Peter chapter 1. I'd like to read those verses with you again. 2 Peter 1, beginning at verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. After the sermon, we'll voice our amen together by singing the words of hymn 67, stanzas 1, 5, 6, and 7. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, as you are aware, it's the season when the office bearers begin their visiting. The elders make their annual home visits, starting usually at this time of the year, and the deacons also begin regular visits through the congregation, visits to families and individuals. In his care for his church, the Lord Jesus Christ has appointed office bearers to look after the sheep, and visiting members and families is one way in which they exercise care for the flock of the Lord Jesus Christ. During the Middle Ages, and still today, The Roman Catholic Church expects members to visit the priest to confess their sins. But the Reformation turned back to the biblical norm that office bearers should visit members in their homes. In this we follow the example of our Lord Jesus Christ who sought out his sheep. This was also the custom with the Apostle Paul that he passed on to the church when he declared, for example, to the elders of Ephesus that He made a practice of teaching and exhorting the members of the congregation as he went from house to house. So this practice of home visiting is a blessing then for both office bearers and members and therefore for the entire congregation. It's a way for office bearers to learn about the spiritual health of the members but also it's a means for them to encourage us, to help us grow in faith and in holiness and to use the words of our text to become more effective and productive members of the church and of the congregation. After all, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we all want to grow in these areas of our life, do we not? That's also clear from the context of this letter of the Apostle and, this, and of our text The Apostle Peter is is calling his readers to be productive and effective citizens in the kingdom of God. And as a follower of Christ, I'm sure that you want that too. You You want your faith to count for something. You want your life of faith to be to be worthwhile to yourself and to others. 
And in this first chapter of, of Peter's letter, he is, he is encouraging believers to, to supplement their faith, to make their faith effective and productive. And he's encouraging them to be, to, to be diligent in confirming their calling and election by supplementing their faith with Christian virtues. Now we have to note very carefully that who is he writing to? He is writing to believers who have received the precious and very great promises of the gospel, which we read about in verses 3 and 4. He has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Right? So he's writing to people who believe that, who have accepted that, who confess that. People that have escaped from, from death to life. And those rich promises now belong to them. They have obtained a faith of equal standing with Peter and the other believers. Verse 1. They have escaped the clutches of sin and, and of Satan. Not, of course, by their own power, but by the power of the resurrection and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter is writing to people then who believe in these promises, whose lives are based on these promises. But at the same time, the apostle is urging his readers to make sure that their faith is one that is marked by progress. They must be careful not to allow their faith to become stagnant. Add to your profession of faith, he is saying. You you must practice your profession. So he calls on them to make sure their faith doesn't remain static. Be diligent to confirm your calling and election. How? Well, by practicing the qualities that are mentioned in verses 5 through 7. It's as if he's saying they should not be satisfied with, with virtue. Once you have supplemented your faith with virtue, you're not to be satisfied until you have added knowledge and, and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love. And these are qualities that will have a tremendous impact on your life when you practice them. And that's what he means when he says, be diligent to confirm your calling and election. Because by practicing these things, you will never fall. What a wonderful promise, congregation. And that promise and this exhortation comes to us as well. Confirm your calling and election by adding to your faith. You will have noticed the word if in verse 8. If these qualities are yours in increasing measure, right? then, then what is going to happen? Well, he says, they will, they will prevent you from being unproductive. They will prevent you from becoming spiritually lazy and, and slacking off. Right? We're, we're called to exercise these qualities because they have a purpose. They count for something. There is, there's a payoff. There's a benefit to practicing these things. And again, uh, who wants their life to be unproductive? Who wants to profess faith in Christ only to discover that it doesn't really make any real difference in their life? Who wants to call themselves a Christian only to discover that they are not producing fruit of faith? Who wants to find out that there's really no effectiveness in their way of life? And so 
The question comes to us too. We should ask ourselves, in what areas of my life am I being unproductive or ineffective? Of course, it's true that none of us, no one can become a Christian by practicing these things. But we become Christians by believing in the cross of Jesus Christ. That is the basis of your connection with the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot come into communion with God and with Christ just by following a list of do's and don'ts. It is only by believing and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ that we become followers of Christ. However, having received this faith, and through the enabling power of the Holy Spirit, we are called to add to our faith, to strengthen our faith, by practicing the qualities that are listed here in this chapter. And how do these things help us? How do these qualities help us? Well, they keep us from from becoming apathetic Christians. They keep us from, from becoming wayward Christians. If we work on developing these habits in our life, we will produce fruit, the fruit of faith. Think of your life as a garden. It takes work to keep the weeds out of the garden, but if there are a lot of healthy plants in the garden, a lot of shrubs and fruit-bearing trees right, that are healthy and vigorous, they prevent thorns and thistles from taking over. And that's how it is with keeping a healthy and godly godly habits in your daily life. The qualities listed in this chapter are the kinds of qualities that prevent the cares and the concerns of this life from choking out your faith. For example, knowledge keeps out the weeds of false doctrine. Self-control chokes out the thorns of temptation. Right? And steadfastness keeps you from becoming fickle and, and disloyal. And brotherly affection keeps you from jealousy and envy. And so if your faith is being choked out by the cares of this world, that is a matter for concern and a matter for self-examination. And remember again, Peter is writing to encourage us. He's encouraging those who profess this faith, those who have the precious promises, And so this passage calls us to examine them, what we do and where we're going. Because verse 9, look at verse 9, Peter writes, Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So he's saying those who do not add to their faith, they have lost sight of the fact that they have been washed in the blood of Christ. They've, They've lost sight of what they have been given by his divine power. They've forgotten that they've been forgiven and sanctified. And when you take your eyes off of all of those promises, then you will stumble through life. And isn't that true? I believe most of us, all of us, experience that at one time or another. It easily happens that we we wander through life or wander, don't know where we're going if we take our eyes off the goal. And remember the comparison that the Lord Jesus makes in the Sermon on the Mount about the two ways that you can travel. The narrow road that leads to eternal life right, and the comfortable, broad and easy road that leads to destruction. You you cannot travel up that narrow path that leads to eternal life without effort, 
without exertion, without devotion, without determination and perseverance. It is true that living the Christian life, of course, is all of grace. Everything that we receive is of grace. And yet, at the same time, it includes our efforts. As God, by his grace, enables us, so we must also put in our effort. As God, by his spirit, enables us, we must give ourselves to this effort. We're called to walk on the narrow way. And the broad road, that's a wide one. That's, that's a smooth road. It takes all the easy paths. It avoids all the hills and the valleys. It's the most comfortable way for travelers. But you could say the narrow road goes straight up the side of the mountain because it leads to the summit. It leads to the pinnacle, to the reward. And that takes effort. In fact, that takes all of our effort, heart, will, soul, mind, and strength. It takes energy and determination and endurance. But it's easy to take your eyes off the summit, isn't it? Because the effort is often very intimidating. And sometimes we just, without even knowing it or realizing it, we stray off that path. And we find a a comfortable little valley where we can pitch our tent and hang out for a while. Because that's so much easier. And then we have to wonder, have we forgotten the goal? What is the Lord's purpose in redeeming for himself a people? He has redeemed us to be people who are eager to do good. Listen to what Paul writes to Titus in Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. God's purpose is to have a people who are zealous for good works. But what is the danger? The danger is that we sometimes forget about the promises, the rich promises of the gospel. We forget that we've been cleansed. We forget that we've been forgiven. And when we're not practicing these Christian qualities, it's easy to begin to doubt too and to wonder whether we really have been forgiven. So what's the solution to the problem? What's the antidote? It is to be reminded again and again of the very great and precious promises that we have in Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what Peter writes in verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, even though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Peter knows that he might not be with them much longer. And so he is going to make every effort to stir up these believers, to remind them of the things that they have, so that when he's no longer with them, they will easily be able to recall these things. And in God's grace, he's given us this letter too. We are reminded too by this letter And we need those reminders because we easily fall. It's a a terrible and a sad thing when you see Christians who, 
who fall asleep, who, who make profession of their faith and then just stagnate. Once they were eager, but then, then the cares and the temptations and the concerns of this world takes over and chokes their faith. It's a sad thing to see Christians walking up the narrow path but then giving up and allowing themselves to become ineffective and unfruitful. For some reason or other, they they just lose interest. They are not fruitful. They are unproductive. In spite of the fact that God has given to them these very great and precious promises. But congregation, there is a way to keep from falling In the letter of Jude, we read about that as as well. At the end of his letter, he writes, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory, to him be the praise. Right. So there is a way to keep from falling. And that's because we have a God who keeps us from falling. And how does he do that, congregation? How does he keep us from falling? Well, he directs us to the truth. He said that there's really nothing mysterious about it. There's no, there's no magic formula to the Christian walk of life. There's no mystery to it. God simply directs us to the truth. And the truth is that you must be diligent to confirm your calling and election. You are exhorted to do by the Holy Spirit what he calls you to do. And I'm sure we all understand what the word diligent means. It doesn't mean that all these Christian virtues just come falling out of heaven into your lap. You have to work for them. Because God did not create robots. He created human beings who have a will, who have intelligence. And he created us with a mind and he wants you to use your mind and your intelligence and your will and to submit all of that to him and to his word. But he also enables you to do so through his Holy Spirit. And so that's the exhortation in this passage. Come on, brothers and sisters, says Peter. Let's be diligent. Let's keep on going. Let's keep on walking. Let's make every effort. Add to your faith all of these things. And if you do, they will keep you from becoming ineffective and unproductive. If you practice these things, you will be fruitful. You will be productive, an effective member of the household of God. And in this way also you add to your own assurance of faith. You already have the precious promises. But Peter is explaining that that how you live is also important for the assurance of your faith. The way you live confirms your calling. It verifies your election. Adding to your faith is evidence of God's calling in you and gives you assurance that he has called you and made you his own. Just Maybe it's helpful to think of, of the opposite. The opposite is surely true. If you fool around with sin, do you expect, can you expect to find the assurance of faith? If you deliberately fool around with sin... Will you not feel like a hypocrite? If you fool around with sin, can you become an encouragement to others? If you play with sin, you will only be a source of discouragement to others. 
So what's the antidote? What's the remedy? Well, it's what Peter says. I will continue to remind you of the precious promises that you have in Christ. The remedy is the continuous preaching of the gospel. It is to be reminded again and again of God's grace. To be reminded that we cannot be right with God by our own efforts. The only way to come and trust and believe and become a child of God is to believe in the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he died for the atonement of your sins. And then the gospel message is is to repent and come into the kingdom of God. And the only thing that can prevent us from doing that is if we are unbelieving or unwilling to listen to those gospel promises. That will prevent us from coming into the kingdom and keep us out of the kingdom. If we turn our back on God, God will keep us out of the kingdom. Willfully going our own way keeps us from entering the kingdom of God. The congregation, if we embrace the gospel of forgiveness, the gospel of reconciliation, if we embrace all these rich promises that we have in Christ, then we will be right with God. And so we need this gospel to be preached to us again and again and again. We need to be reminded again and again because we so easily fall into the trap of our old sinful nature and habits. We're so easily tempted to step off the narrow path and set up camp in a nice, quiet spot, comfortable, just taking it easy. And we, we've, all, we've all done that. We all do that once in a while, and, and perhaps some of us even for a very long time. But the gospel calls you to break up camp and abandon that easy spot and start hiking again. Get off your camp chair, put on your hiking boots and start climbing up the mountain because the summit is the goal. And there's a wonderful promise attached to this exhortation that if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. And if this is the promise, what more motivation do we need to practice these qualities? We've all come to church this morning after a week of stumbling and falling and then we read this text and we say, now this is what I have to do. There's no magic formula to living the Christian life. There's no mystery to it. It's right here in 2 Peter 1. Believe God's precious and very great promises. And we may believe them. And when we believe them, we may add to our faith And living that way, then we also begin to discover more and more the the blessings of, of being fruitful and productive and effective Christians. And we may experience the joy and the pleasure and the peace of adding all of these things to our faith. That's what these precious and great promises mean to those who follow Christ. Those promises, the promises of the gospel are so very rich. But the warnings are serious too. They are as real as the promises are precious. And those warnings are also motivators. They motivate us to be diligent in doing the things our Lord and Savior expects. 
The Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 1 that God, when he begins a good work in you, he will bring it to completion on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel tells us that the Lord will make us persevere. But congregation, that doesn't happen in a vacuum. God also gives us the means of preservation. He gives us the means by which we persevere, and he includes us in that. And if we don't persevere, if we, if we fail to confirm our calling and election, we will fall into sin, we will stumble, we will step off the path. When believers fail to exercise their faith, they may even fall into serious sins. And the Bible is full of examples of, of men and women too who have done that. Think of Moses who struck the rock in anger when God told him to speak to the rock. Think of the Apostle Peter. He denied his Lord and Savior three times. Or think of the Old Testament Samson who fell into sin over and over again. It has been said that faith is like a muscle and if you don't exercise it, it will start to shrivel and weaken. So if you don't exercise your faith, it will shrivel and weaken. And so we do well to heed the admonition of our Lord Jesus Christ who said to his disciples and to his followers, watch and pray that you are not led into temptation. It is true, of course, that those who have truly received God's grace will never fall into eternal condemnation. But we also know that there are those who have professed faith in Christ who do fall away. Not everyone who professes and says, Lord, Lord, enters the kingdom of heaven. They have forgotten that they have been received the promises, those precious promises. It does happen that baptized people, covenant people, end up in hell. They have the precious and great promises, but they blind themselves to the truth of these promises. Well, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, the, Congre- the, the Holy Spirit has given us a warning in this passage, but also great encouragement. The Apostle Peter is right to hear about all the blessings, the advantages, and the joys that comes from believing and trusting and living according to the precious promises of the gospel. If you live this way, you will not fall. If you possess these qualities, you will be effective and productive. Practicing these virtues will give you great joy. It will strengthen your faith. It will increase your faith. But if you fool around with sin, your vision will become clouded, you will become nearsighted, and perhaps even blind, and lose sight of the goal that's at the end of the path. And if you keep on fooling with sin, and make a practice of fooling around with sin, it will overtake your life and possibly even make you completely blind. And when you're blind, you won't be able to find the path back again. And if you can't find the right path, you're in danger of not finding the narrow gate that leads to eternal life. And also, if you fool around with sin, you lose the assurance of faith. Disobedience and assurance of faith simply don't go hand in hand. If you play with sin, you're inviting fears and doubts to be part of your life. But assurance of faith comes with obedience. 
If we do these things, your faith will grow. Your assurance of knowing yourself to be a child of God, of belonging to your faithful Savior, that assurance will grow. Again, congregation, we are called to live this, not in order to be saved, but we're called to work out the selection, the election, to work out, work with the promises that God has given us. To actively put on the Christian virtues that we have already been given in Christ. And when we respond to God's promises with a lifestyle that's filled with, with fruitfulness and productivity, then we are confirming what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And when you live this way, you are guaranteed to be living as a Christian. You are validating God's promises. And then you can also be assured that you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And look at the wonderful picture the Apostle paints for us in verse 11. There will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom. How is that possible? How can we receive a rich welcome? Well, think of the parable of the talents that Jesus told. We all know what happened to the servant who buried his talents in the ground and didn't use them. But the servant who uses what he has been given receives a great reward. The words of his Savior, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. And Peter says it's possible to reach heaven with such a wonderful welcome. And that is possible for us too. And let's think about it. Peter knows what he's talking about. Because Peter experienced this firsthand, didn't he? Remember that night when Jesus was betrayed? Peter denied his Savior three times. He said, I don't know the man. He forgot to practice Christian qualities. And he lost his assurance. But here is Peter exhorting his readers, exhorting us. What brought him to this point? Was it human effort? No way. It was divine grace. Divine grace that picked him up and set him back on his feet so he could live the kind of life that's described for us here. A life of genuine holiness. Congregation, that's what God's grace does for us. So then with the words of scripture, let us run the race that has been set before us. Let us forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. Let us press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And think of the promise that Peter added at the end of his first letter. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. May that be true for each and every one of us. May it be our prayer too then that when the elders go visiting our homes this season, when they go from house to house, that they will find us to be effective and productive Christians and members of God's church and congregation, that they will find much fruit among us. May this be our prayer. Amen.